Good morning, good morning. Please stay standing for me for a moment. Uh, I'm, yeah, sorry, I caught you, didn't I? <laughs> My name is Gary Beyer. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, I'm one of the elders who, if you say, remember when, I'm the guy who can remember when, okay? <laughs> so to all the people I was reminiscing with somebody this morning for the 19 years of this church, thank you very much. And for those of you who are new and who weren't here 19 years ago, this is an awesome place. And children, kids, teenagers giving their lives to Christ up at Dangle this weekend, our promised land, everything fits together so that Christ can be glorified. So I'd just like to yeah. pray for our worship today, pray for our service today, pray for Dave's teaching today that Christ would be glorified. So would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I remember the miracles you've done, God. May we all remember them in our own lives, in this church, wherever we've been, God. Would you bless this worship today, God? You inhabit the praises of your people, God. You inhabit your word, and your word does not go out and come back empty, God. So I pray for Dave's teaching today. I pray for it to be a blessing to everyone who can hear it, to those online, for everyone who hears it later, God. I pray for all the services today that your spirit would be mighty here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Gary. I want you to stay on your feet. For this reason... We're going to read God's word to you, and I want you, to, I, want, I want you to have your full strength when it hits you this morning. I want you to really receive God's word before we get into any of my teaching or takes on it this week. And so please listen to the word of God this morning from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. That's the word of God for this morning. You may be seated now. You've earned it. I want to walk through our passage together today. We are a center for life change built on God's perfect word. And we're going to walk through the letter of Paul to the Philippians. We're only a couple paragraphs into chapter 1. And I want to start with the first two words of these verses. Whatever happens. Can you say that back to me? Whatever happens. A lot is going to happen in your life. Can I get amen if a lot has already happened in your life? A lot of our students will be at tonight's service because of camp. They would have to say, okay, I believe you. A lot's going to happen in my life. But specifically in this passage, St. Paul is talking about whatever happens with his imprisonment, with his uh, situation where he has been thrown under arrest for his boldness in the gospel and he is a prisoner for Christ. But I think almost as a means of serendipity, the translators of the Bible choose great words sometimes to get something across. And there's this phrase that applies very well to our life, whatever happens. For some of you, no joke, over our three services and, and whoever might stumble upon this teaching this week, there's a chance of maybe even an imprisonment. 
whether it be for nefarious reasons or some day in the future when standing for Christ is not accepted even less than it is now. But more likely, whatever happens for most of us has to do with a health struggle, maybe a divorce or an infidelity. The odds go up when we think whatever happens might be an estranged child or a parent or a sibling, financial ruin or simply financial struggle, depression, anxiety, grieving, and oftentimes in our church, I've seen it be the loss of someone that one of us wasn't prepared to lose. Whatever happens. St. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Church, don't miss this today when so little is expected of the church by our culture and our fellow Christians, but so much is expected and so little has changed in what our Heavenly Father and our glorious Lord Jesus Christ expects of us. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I want to be a voice in the wilderness saying today that God still cares about our conduct. The church, I believe, has swung from caring too much about the little nuances of everyone's rules and legalisms in life to now largely being over here where it doesn't matter at all and we don't really care about anything. And I understand it's not popular or hip to talk about this, but I do want to say in using Paul's words that God cares so much about our conduct and there is no excuses. And the reason is not ourselves or our reputation. The reason is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The life centering that we have on this message and reality that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That he did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. Whatever happens, live a life worthy of the gospel. And before we go any further, I want to ask you this morning, keep your answers to yourself right now, but do you live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If no, will you repent of it right now? Will you say, I know that I haven't been living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I know in this moment that God wants me to. Will you repent, which is simply to turn from your sin and turn towards Jesus Christ. People say, Dave, don't say sin. Don't say repent. Don't say hell. Real Christians are repenting every day. It's not something we shake our fingers at the world with. It's something that we point at our own hearts and realize that every day often involves repenting of an attitude or an action or a relationship or some kind of thing in our life. Will you, church, exchange the chains of worldly acceptance, which is pleasant in the short term, for the liberating freedom that is found in Jesus Christ? Will you live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will we stop making excuses for ourselves, excuses for our children, excuses for our habits, excuses? It's okay. I shouldn't say it's okay, but it's expected to sin and to fall and to stumble. But it is expected in the Christian heart to valiantly accept the forgiveness of God and to turn from those things. 
of note, the Greek for this phrase, conduct yourselves, which is translated a lot of different ways by different versions of the Bible, is this Greek word which has a meaning of usually politics or citizenship. And the best way to read it would be to say to Paul saying, citizen yourselves in a way. Live your life out as a citizen, but not so much of this world, but as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Philippians knew, the Philippian people knew the promises and the blessings and the drawbacks and the responsibilities that came with being a Roman citizen. And what it was to be trying to live for Jesus Christ when it often went against popular opinion, against the law of the land. And Paul reminds them in a way that would hit their ears in a way that doesn't hit ours quite as obviously, you're of this kingdom, the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, and conduct yourselves, obey the laws of that land, if you will. They knew the duties, the responsibilities of Roman citizenship, but Paul needed them to know, like you and I need to know, that we are first and foremost, as God's beloved sons and daughters, we are children of the kingdom of God. Amen? You know, at different points in our history as a wonderful country, we may not have realized what an incredible blessing and upside-down thing that is, but I think we're getting it now that to be primarily concerned with the kingdom of God and to be living, be living my life with those goals and with those ends in mind is extremely countercultural. It's upside down. It's an act of faith every day, an act of discipline and effort that I need to make sure it doesn't cross over into religious pride because it's so darn hard. I can only do it in the spirit of God now. Follow kingdom rules, Paul is reminding them. Kingdom traditions, kingdom ways, kingdom customs. Whatever happens, Southside, let's live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you living worthy? Paul, remember, he's writing from prison, and Eric taught us last week about how much he wants to go and be with them, but how real it might be that he dies in that prison cell or one just like it. And so he's thinking out loud, inspired by the Holy Spirit, saying, then, whether I come and see you or I only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. I want to remind you and teach some of you what it is to live a life worthy of the gospel. First thing that comes to mind and that the scriptures teach us is we should all live our lives for an audience of one. I was listening to a podcast this weekend that said most of men's accomplishments are boiled down to either trying to please their father or trying to go the exact opposite direction and trying to do something that will show their father that they're not the failure or the inadequate human being that they were raised to believe they were. But we can't fall into those traps. Whether it be our father, our mother, a sibling, a pastor, a teacher, a coach, a culture, we've got to live our lives for an audience of one. We please Jesus first and Jesus alone. Hebrews 12, 2, memorize it if you haven't, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand 
of the throne of God. Write these scriptures down. If you don't do anything else today, remember them. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. How blessed is the man, or of course woman, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers or mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. How do I live a life worthy of the gospel? I live my life for an audience of one. You and I care more what Jesus thinks than what the person down the road or the person in our past or the imaginary voice within even. We care what God, through his blessed son, Jesus Christ, as we walk in the spirit, thinks. Also in Paul's instruction is to do what it takes to have brothers and sisters in Christ. And I got to be honest, all day, even though it's such a joyous passage, I felt this spirit upon me to bring it with some firmness and with some conviction and with some phrases like, let's stop making excuses or let's stop blaming others or, or let's stop settling for less. We're not going to make it as brothers and sisters in Christ without warriors standing next to us and prayers praying for us and where fellowship turns from food to a ferocity of faith. We need each other. Hebrews 10 gives us just the simplest thing. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, just don't stop getting together. Half the battle is showing up for things like church and your group and your service opportunity. Don't give up. Christians, you could revolutionize the next three generations of your family if you just said, we're going to church Sunday morning. That's what we do. And I wish, and I understand why just going to church doesn't cut it. But I've never seen anything work better or show more evidence than the people who say, that's the Lord's day and I'm there. Whether I'm here, there, or everywhere, when there is an opportunity to be with God's people, I take it. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You want a word picture? How about Ecclesiastes chapter 4? Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, cold out in the desert, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will definitely withstand him. And then he tries again, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Don't you think if the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying about four different metaphors in two sentences that it's important? He wants us to know we don't do this alone. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. There's no superhero save the dayers. That was Jesus' one and only job. But we work together, and Paul uses words like standing firm in the spirit and striving together and being of one mind. In chapter 2, we're going to hear about a unity of purpose. It's incredible what God gives us. There is a call on our lives to love and support one another in our efforts to follow and stand for Jesus Christ.
I live my life for an audience of one. I do what it takes to have bros and sisters in Christ. We make it so easy to find around our church. Just join a group. Join a connect group or a small group. Ask someone to be a spiritual partner with you that you can be accountable with. Go to things like the well and the men's breakfast and youth ministry if you are a student. Uh, Find the places like the food bank where people are serving together arm in arm to bless our community, find that place to do what it takes to have brothers and sisters, and whatever happens, live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you living worthy? Let's read on. The rubber really hits the road here. We're conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. He wants to know whether he sees us or he's not with us, that he hears about us standing firm. And then he gives us some stuff that really helps in this day and age. He says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Quite simply, I want to challenge us to be courageous in our faith. And that's going to look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. If God's given you a gift of boldness or faith, you better use it, baby. If you feel that you have a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear, you better ask God to do what needed to be done for Timothy to turn that into one instead of power and love and discipline. But God knows we're all different. But I do ask you to be courageous. Joshua 1.9 says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I have this, I think, very unpopular thought that's been brewing and I've been sharing it in different settings. (sighs) We talk a lot about, oh, it was so much worse back then. You know, Paul gets thrown in prison martyrs, oh, so much worse. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't say anything. We look back and we go, you know, we look into other countries and we go, it's so barbaric. Here's my big unpopular idea. I think the difference is that we're living our faith so watered down empathetically nowadays. Boop. I don't think if we started to live with the boldness that some of these men and women did, that things would be going so smooth for us. And I don't want you to extrapolate that into, I'm pretty sure Dave said to burn down the uh, this or that. or I can't even say which one I think you should burn down. <laughs> That's how weak I am. <laughs> so... Talk to me later about it. But I think the problem is our faith is so watered down that nobody really cares what most of us are doing because we're not really upsetting anything. I'm not saying we should be violent and weird and rude. But there's so many places where if we just said, I'm for Jesus and him crucified. And then when they said, shut up, don't say that again, we said, well, but see, I fear God more than I fear you. And this is why nobody likes me. (laughs) That and several other reasons, probably. (laughs) There's this cat named Chris Jamie. He's a skeptic of the Christian faith, but I liked the quote he came up with because I think it speaks to 
uh, what an outsider might think of our complaints about the culture or about the situations we find ourselves in. He said, Christians sometimes make themselves into elephants afraid of mice, if you know the old proverb. You have the creator of the universe on your side, not to mention you've been given eternal life. Whom or what shall you fear then? To be afraid of anything other than God himself is like an insult to God. Easy for him to say that about us outside of the faith, <laughs> but I think has a ring of truth nonetheless. Love that song we were just singing, Fear No Evil. It can just be a song lyric or it can be a battle cry. Whatever happens, live a life worthy of the gospel. I'm doing it for an audience of one. I'm making sure I have a band of brothers or sisters or both around me. I'm going to be courageous. And then the scriptures tell us about a precious promise of God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Can we say thanks, God, for that precious promise? I've always read this. I think I've always read this one wrong. Um, as a promise that, yay, here's a promise, you get granted. The actual, the actual Greek word would be you have been graced with this. It has been graced to you on behalf of Christ to suffer. And I always kind of read it as, okay, I'm supposed to like that. I'm supposed to be on board with that. I think there's something deeper here. As I looked into it this week and as I looked at other scriptures and as I tried to understand what is this promise, I believe there is a supernatural strength for the genuine Christ follower to persevere and endure suffering that is unique. So what's been granted to us is to suffer but to stand up under it. Like those amazing quotes that uh, Eric shared last week about the, some of the first martyrs or some of the first famous recorded martyrs, that they would rather go to the gallows and have God be glorified than to have someone plead their case and free them at the last moment. It has been granted to you, it's been graced to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but I think in here is this thought of perseverance and an ability, like Jesus had told the disciples, you're going to know what to say at the precise moment. You're going to be Satan, Peter's going to ask to sift you like wheat, and yet you're still going to stand and lead the church. And so I see this fourth reality to living worthy of the gospel that's right here in the scriptures today. Lean on the supernatural strength of the Lord. It's not just been granted to us to suffer, although sometimes it may feel that way. It's been granted to us to suffer and to uniquely persevere and overcome. We are more than overcomers, the scriptures say. There is no forces or evil or principalities that can come against us that's greater and can separate us from the love of God, like it says in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Lean on the supernatural strength of God. Back to James, which we taught a year ago or so. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The message relates one of the messages to the seven churches of Revelation, I see what you've done, your hard, hard work, your refusal to quit. I know you can't stomach evil, that you weed out apostolic pretenders. I know your persistence, your courage in my cause, that you never wear out. And just whatever you're going through, whether it's persecution or just health and being beleaguered, 
by what life has put you through. Lean on the supernatural strength of the Lord. Paul finishes up in verse 30. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer him, suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, we know the struggles Paul had. I've decided not to, for the third week in a row, read 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul reminds us that he was beaten and imprisoned and this and this and this and this, and the worst thing that ever happened to him is he had to take care of the church. I'm not going to read that one again, but I just did. Paul never jumped out. Paul never looked for the release valve. Paul didn't decide, I was promised this role as a great voice to the Gentiles and called out and I'm uniquely intelligent and learned and, and worldly in the culture of the day. And so God must want to use that to exalt me when Paul quickly realized that he would suffer for the Lord's sake. He embraced that calling. And even in this moment, as he talks about the struggles that he's having or had in the prison, being passed around from magistrate to ruler, being put in all kinds of different situations, he realizes he's chained to his captors, and so he shares the gospel with them. He realizes that if they understand, I'm here for Jesus, not for theft, not for uh, blasphemy, not for anything, but just for this weird thing that because I'm standing up for Christ and they don't understand what that is, they don't like it, they've thrown me in here. It helps me for us to understand that we should draw inspiration from the scriptures. We can't talk to Paul. We can't pull him over. We can guess and we can wonder and try to get in their heads. But here it is. God has revealed to us in his word how we can persevere. How we can live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Christ. What it means to precisely, precisely to do those things. We draw, draw inspiration from the scriptures. James chapter 5. Verse 11, as you know, James wrote, we count as blessed those who have persevered. And what a beautiful thing he does here. He says, you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And James was brilliant. He took like the worst story in the Bible, the one that they would say, hey, I'll do anything but what you did to that guy. And he uses that as the example. Take a look at that example and see how the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And then if you're wondering how to get into the Bible, I hope that you all have seen, if, if you've been around God for a bit, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 would not fit on one slide. It is a beautiful, beautiful passage. And as it goes through what it is to walk and live by faith, it, you'll just see these names pop out. And if you have a good Bible or a browser, you can go catch all of those stories but it just goes through the history of God's people. And I think it's helpful sometimes to kind of connect to one in your personal life to think who's going through kind of what I did or, or what's giving me inspiration. We had a beautiful talk in our pastor's meeting this week where Pastor Jim was just talking about in his men's group, how can we get in God's word on our own? And they came up with this idea of just saying, what's the floor? of how many times, you know, we talk about what's the ceiling. Well, there's no ceiling to how much time we want to spend with God, but what's the floor? How can we live if we don't get in God's word personally? Is it once a week? Is it twice a week? We don't want to be legalists. We would hope it would be every day, and we would hope that God would be exciting our hearts to get in there, but what's, what's that 
point where I just will not go with the world and with the church today, and I will say, I will open my Bible myself and be blessed. We've got to draw inspiration from the scriptures. We're not going to get it from our friends. Our friends are always going to tell us, you're right, they're wrong. Our friends want to be our friends. They want to be understood. They want, us, they want us to feel that they understand. It's that powerful testimony that God's word has that it will always tell you the truth and the whole truth and the unvarnished truth. That's one more way to live a life worthy of the gospel. I don't know how many of you got to go to John Hook Christensen's memorial service just a couple Sundays ago in this room. And uh, it was really neat just getting to talk about his faith in Christ and having all kinds of different people in the church who, who uh, knew of his faith but had not met several of us and vice versa. But um, there was a story that Alyssa Beyer told me later, or I've heard came through her, that she, I didn't get to share this during my talk, and I heard about it later, that she went to see him in the hospital. And I hope I get the details right. I know I have the big picture right, but he was sobbing and praying and crying out to God. He had a very virulent cancer that was just taking him very speedily with what appeared to be no hope or no reasonable expectation of healing. And when she showed up to visit him at the hospital, he was sobbing and praying, I think, in the bathroom or a separate room there, crying and crying out to God. And I think, as any of us would, she probably assumed that he was in despair about his own cancer and was bargaining with God and was saying, please, God, please, God, help me. Please, God, heal me. Please, God, if, if you do this, I'll, I'll do this for you. But listening closer it appeared and it became clear that he had seen or visited several children with cancer and was instead in his prayers asking God, God, I know I'm going to die, so can you give their cancer to me? That's just a snapshot, a moment in time where someone understood to live as Christ and to die as gain. And in that moment, of a life that was not perfect like yours and mine aren't, somebody living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, whatever happens, I charge you today in the presence of your brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? just want to give you an opportunity to bow your heads to ready your hearts for the adoration of our king and to very solemnly seriously and joyfully use these next few moments to worship him to thank him to make your prayers known that you want to live worthy, to confess any sins that have made you feel unworthy. You're not unworthy positionally. God loves you if you're in Christ. He is crazy about you. But we live in the real world and we understand that sometimes when we get sideways in our bitterness or our loneliness or in our sinful activities that we feel as if we are unworthy and it's time to then express our repentance to God to seek out the restoration of our relationship with him or with others. And so use that time right now. God, we just take the next few moments before we open our mouths together.
to open our hearts individually as brothers and sisters to you, God, and to say, I want to be worthy of you, Lord. I want to live worthy of you. might be too much for some of you, and it's time to just say, Lord, I want to take a step, just a tiny little step of putting myself here, putting myself in places. And so, God, would you use this time? We pray together now. Would you use this time as we reflect on our hearts, our lives, our church, our part, and this challenge, whatever happens, to live a life worthy of the gospel. Lord, I won't say amen yet as we all just continue to pray on our own.